So, dear friends, I, every panel of, of today's conference is an interesting panel, but I think this panel has um, a particular interest because our conference is an investor-oriented conference. So, as an investor-oriented conference, I think it's very interesting and important to also get the investor point of view of how they are looking at uh, shipping, why they invest in shipping, and in general, how do we approach the sector. So I'm delighted, actually, uh, and I want to thank each one of them individually because most investors don't like to speak. Uh, and so I wanted to thank them very much for uh, <clears throat> stepping up to the plate, if I can say so, and for, for joining us. So uh, we have Richard Diamond, David Marcus, James Dowling, Tyler Olson. We will start. I will kindly ask each one of them to give us on one minute introduction of who they are and what they do. Uh, I'm a long only uh, buy and hold investor. I generally have a uh, one to two year, one to two year uh, time horizon. Uh, I generally uh, am a contrarian looking for uh, mispriced uh, securities, and I tend to invest uh, along themes from Asian swine flu to uh, IMO 2020, which is the biggest allocation in my portfolio. Hi, David Marcus. Um, my investment approach is we're also long only. Uh, we manage about 1.1 billion. Um, we focus on special situations. We like, we're value investors who like cheap stocks where there's catalysts, there's events, there's something going on that should get the value, as we like to say, from the stock to the shareholders. We also have a focus on family-controlled businesses. We like it when we have a main shareholder or a group of shareholders that we believe are real value creators over time. Not every family will focus on creating value. Some will, some won't. But we think that's a key component for what we look for. Uh, and um, we generally have stayed away from very cyclical or commodity-type businesses until they go through sheer devastation, which, of course, this is an industry that over the last few years has had parts of that. So that's what attracted us to this sector maybe about three and a half years ago. And so today we've allocated also a very substantial amount of our portfolio to all kinds of maritime-related investments. Jim? Uh, excuse me. My name is Jim Dowling. Uh, I'm with Jeffrey's Capital Partners. Um, last month, I celebrated my 50th year in the investment business, and I mention that for two reasons. Number one, I've never been fired. And number two, I saw the 1973 oil embargo and what it could do to tanker rates, and this is really something. I look forward to the discussion later on. Hi, my name is Tyler Olson. I uh, work at a family office in Los Angeles called Carlin Asset Management. Uh, it's a single family office, a couple billion dollars, and I manage the energy portfolio there, uh, which does include shipping. Uh, I think it's an important you know, point to note that most energy investors who I talk to have not been following the shipping sector or IMO's implications. Um, and so I think we're going to get into this at some point in the panel, you know, on investor attitudes and 
what types of investors are looking at shipping right now, uh, and you would expect, and people say that you know, when, when energy's not doing well, shipping doesn't do well from an investor standpoint, uh, but I don't think the investors naturally overlap as much as some people think. Um, so I think it's just an important distinction in terms of who the investors are going forward. Well, in your introductory remarks, some of you touched upon why shipping. So all of, I mean, all of you, you, you have a variety of choices in the market. So shipping is not the most obvious choice. Uh, and for shipping to attract your interest, it is competing with other sectors and opportunities that you are encountering. So can I ask you, how does shipping fit into a diversified portfolio? And what is it that attracts you to shipping, let's say today? Or uh, I think uh, David uh, mentioned that in his remark. But I'll start again with Richard, and we go down the line. OK. Uh, quite frankly, uh, I believe that diversification is for weenies. And if people really want a diversified portfolio, they're better off you know, getting an, S getting an ETF uh, and you know, owning a gazillion securities, whatever. Uh, I make uh, secular bets on different uh, businesses. And right now, if you look backwards at shipping, it's not surprising people hate shipping. No one's made money for six years, and people have lost money. So the stocks are priced for really bad outcomes, and what I think the uh, market is missing right now is uh, on a risk-adjusted uh, basis, if you look at the catalyst for the future from IMO 2020 to uh, less capital to uh, lower order book, uh, uh, the, the outlook uh, is better. You know, people say shipping is risky. You know, it's risky buying a German bond where you're uh, guaranteed to lose money. Buying uh, Diamond S or International Seaways below book value or EURN with uh, great management, low cost, good capital allocation. I mean, uh, I, I'd rather own that, own that than a bond that has a real return of zero. Dave? Uh, I agree uh, with many of the things that you've said. Yeah, we, we don't think about diversifying. We think about where should we be putting our money. We're really just focused on finding uh, between 30 and 40 one-off situations. Each one is unique. Sometimes you end up in a thematic situation like we have in, in maritime related or in dry bulk or in containers or in tankers or whatever. Sometimes there's just a lot of opportunity in a specific uh, sleeve, but the reality is we can. Nicholas, as you pointed out, you know why are we here? Or that's your question. The reality is we are attracted to this because we are we're, we're sniffing around looking for undervalued situations, but then we want to just think about what's going to make it go up. And going where investors have historically gone into panic mode and really moved away from it, that's highly attractive to us. So three and a half, four years ago, when we started working on. Maritime, this was when the bankers were calling and they were desperately trying to raise capital for companies because the banks were not doing any more uh, lending. 
and they were really slaughtering the equity owners that were there. So we were coming in on a lot of the dilution of the prior shareholders. That was our sort of entree into the whole area. And um, frankly, some of those investments were just fantastic because we didn't have a lot of competition. So we look for those spaces where it's less competitive. We think with sort of this phrase, buy them when they hate them. Well, they hated them then, and really up until more recently, they still hated them. And so it's been a number of years of getting to know the characters, the players, the opportunities, the nuance and the differences amongst all the different companies, whether it's in Norway, whether it's in Greece, and anything in between. And you realize there's so many kinds of nuances here. And so as we've immersed ourselves, we realize this is a place we want to be because it's, it's ridiculously, uh, it's not so much non-contrarian, it's not of interest to many investors until it is, like now when things are starting to transform a bit or evolve. And so this concept of buy things when people hate them, it's really look at things when people hate them and get to know them and get to understand them. But we want to invest like owners. Would we want to own the whole company if we could? And if the answer is no way, then we don't even want to own one share. And that's why we're so fixated on who's running the businesses. You could have a commodity business, but it still comes down to betting on people. And we are big believers that we're buying jockeys, not just horses. We want to know who the people are running these businesses, because the good guys will do the right thing in the tough times. The bad guys won't. And so it's critical to make sure that you're partnering with the right people. And if you don't think you are, and you're not sure, you should move on from that investment. And so we really think in those terms all the time. But it's just a wonderful area to look at. And now that other investors are starting, I mean, we were at this conference, I don't know, three years ago. And I can tell you, I, and I, I, I've said this to some of you guys before, I thought I was at a funeral. It was so horrible. And well, I, was, funeral, I was here, funerals are more fun. Yeah, yeah, right, because somebody at the funeral's happy, you know, but uh, I don't know that. <laughs> but here, a couple of years ago, it really, it was, it was the, the, the owners, the bankers, the brokers. Uh, I didn't see one head up. Everybody was looking down. And, uh, and we, I was here with one of my colleagues, and we, I was saying, do you smell it? There's opportunity here. Because they can't all be going out of business. And the key for us was let's just start working the room and get to know who these guys are. Who do we think is going to be a winner? Who's going to be a loser? And we realized there's a bunch of both of those kinds out there. And so it's figuring that out and then making our bets accordingly. And then when we get it wrong initially, to have the wherewithal to say, you know what, that's an opportunity to add, to average down, to take advantage of a unique opportunity. And when blocks were coming, we were told all the bankers and the brokers, call us with the blocks. We're very interested. We're not interested at any price you're offering it at. We're interested at the price we're comfortable bidding for it. And so we were just getting great opportunities. Why are we here now a few years later? Because we're finally starting to see the beginning of others coming in. How do you make money in investing? Well, you need other people to buy your, your assets ultimately and push up the valuations and the price. It's so early. And so we're extremely excited by it. We want to see others come in. Um, and hopefully it stretches out for some period of time. But it's, it's really a fantastic uh, period of time I see more heads up than I see down at the conference this year, which is a good thing. But when I see everybody's head up, I can tell you, you won't see me at that conference. Uh, at Jeffrey's Capital, uh, we've been investing 
directly in shipping for over 20 years, 23 years, something like that. And our approach has always been to buy companies as opposed to buying the asset. Uh, we've really never bought one-off vessel deals. We've bought companies. And for the most part, we knew the managements, and we knew them very well, very similar to what David was describing. And we made an, an investment bet, and we thought that the bet would last three to five years. For the most part, uh, our shipping investments were competing against alternatives. And we would look at what we defined as the risk potential risk-adjusted return and then make a decision. And if it turned out that a shipping company won it, then we made the investment. If it turned out that a widget manufacturer did, then we did that instead. And that's been the whole mantra, buying companies and not buying individual assets. And I would say that probably over that 20-something year period, we've made a heck of a lot more money than we lost, but this is also a business that you can lose money in, and we've proven that. Um, the, current, the current environment is different um, in that earlier this year, uh, we made the observation that paper was cheaper than steel and that if we were going to do anything, it was in public paper, which would have been uh, against our history, but nonetheless, that's where the opportunity was. If we had this conference seven or eight weeks ago, I think a lot of the heads that are partially up would still have been down because of what, what, is, what has gone on in the business, particularly in the tanker side. Um, but notwithstanding everything that was said, I'd like to give you a couple of numbers from a big picture perspective uh, that at least gives me perspective. By my count, and give me plus or minus 10% in all of these numbers, there are approximately 60 public shipping companies in the United States. I did not go outside the United States. The total market cap of those 60 is somewhere close to $40 billion. Of those 60, 15 have a market cap above $1 billion. There are 30 that have a market cap of 500 million and under, and of those, half of them have less than 250 million. Most of these companies, the effective float is significantly smaller than the market cap. So if you just, as a rule of thumb, said that one-third was held inside and two-thirds floated, and that might be liberal, but nonetheless, you really are limited to the number of potential investable stocks that are out there. And that's an issue. At $300,000 a day for VLCC rates, it's totally indiscriminate. It doesn't matter. The proverbial rising tide took all of the vessels up. But clearly, 
50% of all of the public companies are largely uninvestable by traditional institutions. For instance, if you take a $100 million portfolio and say that that will consist of 30 issues, roughly 3%, 3 and a third percent each, you're talking about a minimum position of $3 million. For a company that has a market cap of 100, 150, with one third of it held inside, it doesn't give you too much available float to buy. And most investors, when they look, certainly I did when I ran money 25 years ago, most investors will look at historical trading and say, how many days in average trading will it take me to get out if I'm wrong? And that immediately eliminates a large number of potential investors and therefore eliminates a large number of the publicly traded shipping companies. It's just something for you to think about. On the other side of that, uh, and I'll defer to Tyler on this, for 25 years, the energy percentage in the S&P 500 was roughly 9%. It's been settled, steadily declining, and as of two or three weeks ago when I did the, looked up the figures, the energy percentage in the S&P was 4.6. Now, why is that important? Well, if a portfolio manager decides that his benchmark, the S&P, that he needs to outperform it, and maybe he should be in energy, uh, and energy only accounts for 4.6%, what's been happening is that a portfolio manager will say, I'll buy Exxon, Chevron, and Schlumberger, and there's my energy exposure. You know, what happens to all of the rest of them? They go by the boards. So I just use that analogy to caution everybody that this euphoria is great, but at some point it probably ends, and I'd much rather be owning Euronav or DHT or Frontline in the tanker space where there's a heck of a lot of market cap relative to the rest of the business. Jim, thank you very much. By the way, I have to say I got so excited that I would moderate this panel that I forgot that I had a couple of slides that I would like to share with you that have uh, some of the figures that uh, Jim mentioned. But, you know, I don't moderate panels very often with so top-level <laughs> panelists, so... That's why I said it first. <laughs> so anyway, if you look at those numbers, uh, there are 49 shipping companies listed today. I think we didn't take into consideration the Jones Act companies. Uh, for a total market cap of 29 billion, uh, there, and then, if you look at other capital uh, invested into shipping, there are 30 uh, issues out there of preferred stocks, not issuers, but issues, uh, for $3 billion outstanding. And then, if you look at the, on the bond side, you have 38 bonds uh, with $10 billion outstanding. So, interesting statistics, and they go with what Jim said. And if we can go to the next slide, uh, can we move to the next slide? There you go. So 
I broke down all the uh, shipping companies by, uh, you have seven container companies, 13 dry bulk, 10 LNG, LPG, and so on. You see the number of shareholders, so we looked at the 13 F filings, and you see how many shareholders there are, institutional shareholders per sector. So there are 221 institutional investors holding container companies, 243 in dry bulk companies, and so on. And um, at the end of the day, there are 1,000 investors active in shipping today. Not a huge universe when you consider you know, the vast number of institutional investors in the U.S. market overall. And we have 53 analysts covering the, uh, the shipping sector, and you can see the breakdown by sector. So this is background information corroborating what Jim said. Go ahead. You know, to me, this is, uh, and I don't want to steal uh, uh, what Tyler's going to say. In fact, I don't know what he's going to say, but I, I just want to interrupt. His, uh, Nobody may ever know. You may ever get a chance. But, you know, what uh, Jim doesn't like about shipping, that's what I love. I mean, who is the competition in Apple? The brightest minds, 69 analysts. You know, I, if I called Apple, I'd be lucky to get an appointment at the Genius Bar. I mean, you come in shipping. Who's, who, who's, who are the people looking at it? You know, a lot of times the people on the other side are un, uninformed. They sell on emotion. Uh, there is a, uh, you can call a, a CFO or a CEO. You can make informed decisions. I mean, gee, uh, I look at a market where there are a lot of professional players, and I say, that's a great opportunity, just as you look at suicidal investment bankers, and you say, that's a great opportunity. I'm sorry, Tyler. <laughs> no worries. Tyler, go ahead. Yeah, so we, we like, like these three guys, were not here three years ago. We were not that early, but you know, I think it brings up a good point, who are the next investors are going to come in now. Um, while we start looking a year ago, roughly, you know, what did we look for as a family office who's generally looking for value or opportunistic ideas? You know, we, we obviously looked at discounts to NAV. We looked at cash flow and trading multiples, um, which I'm, I'm sure most investors do when they go into a new space and start learning about it. Uh, and so if we were to kind of fast forward to today to see who are potential new investors to this space that are going to be, you know, continuing to bid up shares in, in the tanker space, if we were to focus there, and you look at what kind of cash flow multiples the tanker stocks trade at today, if you were to assume, you know, kind of one-year time charter rates, which is, you know, for VLCCs, 60, 70 roughly right now, uh, obviously, changing a lot over the past week. And at those rates, multiples on cash flow are give or take mid-single digits for, for the tanker names. And, you know, obviously not as much has changed over the past couple of weeks in the other shipping sectors, but the valuations on cash flow are still give or take mid-single digits on cash flow. And that appeals to value investors. Um, there are obviously cheaper sectors in you know, cheaper sectors out there to invest in, but very, very, very few. One of them being energy, like Jim alluded to. Um, but give or take, everything else is a lot cheaper than that. 
And so what happens if these stocks get bid up over the next couple months, as I assume most people here expect, and you know, rates kind of stay flat, or maybe they, you know, spot rates come down a bit, but time charter rates kind of stay flat in the 60, 70 range for VLCCs, and multiples go to, you know, seven, eight, nine times, it's no longer a typical value stock. Who are the investors then? I mean, theoretically, it's now momentum stock, and these things have been up 100, 150% over the past couple months, and you get an entire new investor who comes in and basically is a momentum investor, and, you know, it's cyclical industry, you're not really gonna get the typical growth investors, um, but if you can get value and then momentum, I mean, that's pretty good. Um, I mean, I think the, the other thing is just to take into account, if you're a new investor looking at the space, you, you know, say you wanna come in with tanker stocks doing really well right now, you're gonna look at the large names, a lot of them have VLCCs, and you're gonna look at the ones who are smaller and less liquid in terms of trading volume, and unless you are a, you know, opportunistic firm who, or a hedge fund who can trade in some of the smaller, less liquid names, you know, if you're Fidelity, you, you have to go to some of the, the larger names like the Euronavs, the Frontlines, the DHTs, like these guys mentioned, um, which is an even smaller universe. If you're more opportunistic and can trade in some of the less liquid names, those have theoretically, you know, generally more financial leverage and a little riskier, and if you enter a position, it's gonna be harder to get out of it if you decide to, but those are the ones that over the past couple of weeks in the tanker sector have been up 100% in a week, um, just given they tend to have more financial leverage, uh, and also when stocks are liquid, and prices start moving, you know, prices will move a lot more than something that's larger. Big favor, I have a number of pointed questions okay. to ask you, so sure. I would be grateful if you each be brief so I can go through them, but go ahead. I was just gonna say, this is a sector that's basically a trading sector. Many of the people that are investing here are traders. It's, the question is, is it becoming an investing sector? Because I think we do always say investors, but the reality is there's a lot of traders who are very short-term focused. They listen to headlines. There's a little couple of good bullet points, they're in. A couple of bad bullet points are out. Part of that is for exactly what this slide is showing, which is the, the quantity of number, uh, the previous slide where it shows the size of the companies and, and the liquidity and so forth. The fact is you just don't have enough companies to bring the real investors in, as Tyler says, whether it's the Fidelity or any of the other larger investors, they just can't do it. They'd have to buy everything. And so therefore they buy nothing. And so uh, with a lot of companies that we talk to say, oh, there's no reason for consolidation because the fact is the synergies are de minimis. You're not doing it for that necessarily. You're doing it to create a scalable company that can actually be invested in by investors, not just traders. And I think when that, yeah. when those companies realize that, they see the value and it can bring in and investors will generally stick around longer time than traders. So you can slowly uh, change the complexion of the investor base to have real partners and investors, not everyone, but some, who will actually be there in the longer run. And I think that uh, it's not wishful thinking on my part. I think that you have that in some of the situations and it can evolve in others. But I think sometimes it's, you know, the egos get into the picture and people don't want to do deals. But you know, if you think about creating real value, the last thing I'm gonna say is, as value investors, the first question we ask is, 
is it cheap? Well, once we answer that, the next question is why is it cheap? After that, the real question is what's going to make it go up? And that's the most critical of all. Just because something's cheap doesn't mean you're going to make money. What's going to make it go up? And there's a lot of parts to that. But the reality is that's why this is an interesting sector today, because there's a lot of things that should make it go up. And you have maybe more of a confluence of these issues lining up than you've had in however many cycles we've seen before this, where sometimes it was driven by really one big theme. Here you have a lot of things going on. Thank you. Uh, one very specific question, and I think that comes from Tyler. How do you, how would you like companies to use the excess cash flow they generate? Buy back shares, give dividends, invest in the business? If you can, each one of you give me a brief answer so I can go to the next one. I have another very interesting question to ask you about NAV discounts and so on. So let's go through if we can. Since you gave me the question, Tyler, I'll ask with you. With you. Sure. I mean, the, there's give or take four or five good uses of free cash flow, and I think this is very important now given where tanker rates are and if they were to sustain at these levels, there's going to be a ton of free cash flow for management teams to decide what to do with. Um, you know, my personal preference is, having never run a company, but my personal preference is having met with a lot of these management teams is, you know, the time to do buybacks is when we're at the bottom of the cycle and share prices are low and there's no other buyers in the market, you're really the only one buying your stock. Once prices have run 100%, in my opinion, that's not, not the time to buy. Uh, even if you think that you can be buying your stock, you know, cheaper than you could be buying private tankers in the, you know, private market right now, I'd still just prefer to see management teams buy, buy back their shares at the bottom. Um, on dividends, there's a couple different, you know, methods. There's the stable, sort of small, you know, twos, low single-digit yield that some management teams start with and then tend to grow it every quarter, every year, uh, but keep it at a sustainable level. I just don't think that, you know, on average, you're going to get credit for that as, from investors in a cyclical industry. Um, you know, the other dividend options are really special dividends in, you know, which can be very material, especially if you've just had a couple of really, really good quarters with a lot of free cash flow. Or one option that I, I personally like, which is just a, st uh, a set payout ratio that uh, management sticks to every quarter. So if you have a really good quarter with really good rates, investors are going to get a lot back. And if it's a mediocre quarter, the company's not going to be, you know, over levering itself by trying to pay out a certain dividend that they committed to before rates were strong. Um, you know, the other good one is obviously pay down debt. It does create equity value theoretically, but you know when when things are good, I, I think investors generally want that cash flow back in their pocket. Um, you could obviously go buy ships, but I've I've got a long answer to that, which I'd, I can get to so after. We <laughs> have two minutes to go. If I can ask each one of you for a quick response, I would be grateful. Uh, regardless of the price, I would not recommend buying back shares because the liquidity is awful already, and that would just make it worse. Um, and I would not buy new buildings. That was quick. <laughs> um, I would say this is the most important question. What's the capital allocation strategy for the company? Um, I, I do believe that even though some of these companies are very illiquid, 
you can't, I can't worry about the next shareholder that doesn't own it. I worry about the shareholders that do own it, the owners. And so therefore, if you're illiquid and you're not gonna merge and create scale, focus on creating the most value for your shareholders that you have right now. Uh, I think that could be just paying out the cash that you have. Do it like John Fredrickson did it back in the old days. You have excess cash, give it to the shareholders. Just keep giving it out. Give it, give it, give it, give it, give it. Um, you could do that. You could set a dividend strategy, but I think just bonus dividends is a fantastic way to do it. I think also, oh. uh, it's John Fredrickson calling. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he has some ideas. Um, <laughs> so I do think the other thing you can do quickly is um, a Dutch auction. Companies don't really do these anymore. This is a hybrid where you can offer your shareholders a chance to sell stock back to the company at a premium. So they get a premium, they're getting cash, you're shrinking the float, and if you're buying things back at a discount, you're creating huge value for the remaining owners. Again, if you don't care about the liquidity, embrace the illiquid nature of your business and just get returns to your investors and focus as though you are the owner. Treat everybody like a real owner. So I think getting the cash out. I think Dutch auctions are very underrated. They don't do them anymore, and they should be brought back because you could do big buybacks in very short periods of time, and you have the shareholders who want to participate can, and those who don't can stay and do whatever they want. So you give everybody the optionality. I'm a fan of optionality. Okay. Mine's simple. Show me the money. I like special dividends. Thank you. I don't uh, want to be lenient with myself when I'm tough with other moderators. We are exceeding our time, but I will ask one question last, and I would be grateful if you can give me a one-word answer. <laughs> if you had, let's say, X amount of money to invest today, which sector would you invest? What's your favorite sector? So, Richard, I can start with you. I'm gonna let Dave go first. That's, uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I have to think. Maritime related is 21% of our um, asset base. It's the largest single concentration. Everything else is kind of in different one-off industries, but our biggest industries are maritime and media companies that are going through breakups, spinoffs, and restructuring. And so in the maritime space, we're across the spectrum. We have dank tankers, we have container ships. David, that's not a one word answer. <laughs> no, it's a one paragraph answer. Um, but no, I'm done. No, but where would you invest? Uh, tankers, containers, dry? I, 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 we've been in tankers for a while. Uh, I think that we would stay there and we just, we're happy to be there. Dry, we're very happy to be there as well. I mean, the fact okay. is we, are, we like uh, having a lot of chips here. It's not that we're diversifying. We think that the, the uniqueness of what's happening across maritime is impacting so many of these Thank now, you. and you don't often get it where there's a linkage. There is a linkage. Thank you. Okay, dirty tankers. Jim. Wow, all tankers. All tankers. Tyler? Yeah, probably tankers. Um, if I were to go buy private tankers, I'd probably buy them, lock them in on a time charter. But, Thank you. Yeah. So can I, can I just yeah. put a caveat? I don't think current <laughs> levels of 300,000 a day are at all sustainable, but I like, not only do I like dirty tankers, but I'm uh, modeling between uh, 70 and $100,000 per day uh, rates in the first quarter, and I would be delighted to see that. Thank you. Sorry. Now, by the way, don't tell the other moderators that I have exceeded my own limit. Uh, so I'd like to thank you very much uh, for a great panel. Um,
if you allow me, uh, another round of applause for David, who is spreading the love across the shipping industry, as opposed to picking one sector. So thank you so much.